Hey, baseball fans, welcome back to Baseball for Breakfast, your weekly serving of dingers and zingers. My name is Matt Nadell. I'm joined by my two good, good buddies, Brendan Mallon and Logan Strobing. This is a podcast where we talk about everything and anything baseball, all about America's pastime. And boy, do we have an episode for you today, because guys, the World Series ended a couple of nights ago, and it is a wild one. It's been a while since we've, you know, you've heard us, it's been a... week and a half since we recorded an episode and last episode we were previewing the world series between the Rays and the Dodgers and you know some of our hosts nailed their predictions for the world series uh I went with the underdog the Rays and I have a lot to say about the Rays we'll get into it we do more of a game by game analysis but congrats to Logan and Matt they got one of their predictions right so bringing my total for the playoff prediction episode (laughs) to six and one I'll take it um yeah honestly Dodgers Three of the four, three of the last four years, they've been in the World Series, and they were bound to win one eventually. Um, if they weren't facing cheaters, well, honestly, they chose. They could have won a game earlier, but we'll get the we'll we'll do a game by game kind of breakdown. Why I think the Dodgers won the series? I mean, they outhit the Rays the entire series, and the Rays bullpen that was their strength the whole season. They couldn't hold the leads that they were holding on uh, against the Yankees, against the Astros. So yeah, what do you guys? What are your takeaways? I'm just ha- I'm happy for Kershaw. I'm happy for the mainstays of the Dodgers. It's mostly been a homegrown team with, you know, a young core: Seager, Ballinger getting their first rings, uh, Mookie Betts first year on LA getting the Dodgers over the hump, um, Walker Buehler gets his first ring, Kelly Jansen. These are like mainstays. So really excited, you know, for the best team in the National League by far. It's also two consecutive years a National League team has won the World Series. The it's a one no, out of two. But, yeah, I was gonna say, is that like I, I, historically? Is that on? I, I think that if you, I think the American League teams have done better historically in the World Series, I it's think because of the DH. It's also because <laughs> no, the, the Yankees <laughs> have won a lot of well, them. The Yankees, but, yeah, yeah, of course. I agree. Um, but the, the, know, the Red Sox the have a lot. I mean, yeah, that's the most true. team in the the most team with the World Series in the National League is the Cardinals with yeah. eleven. So yeah, oh, so the Cardinals are second. The only the only Red streak the only streak like that where it was so many championships for one conference in a row was the in the Super Bowl the NFC throughout the eighties into the nineties won like fifteen straight Super Bowls. That's the only streak that I really know of off the top of my head. Yeah, baseball. I but I I don't disagree that when you when you were if you were gonna say the best teams in baseball the past five years you probably would have uttered Dodgers and then probably three AL teams maybe four. Yeah, so, Astros, Red Sox, Yankees. You could put the A's up there if you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So okay, fair. All right, fair. Um, but overall though, I see. I think. I think the Dodgers soundly outplayed the Rays, and that's including them having one of the worst series of events in a, in a two-out, nine-inning game I've ever seen in my life. I really do think that this was poetic justice for a Dodgers team that has lost to two straight, you know, cheating, amazing seasons by the uh, Astros and Red Sox. I mean, were they favorites? Yes. Was this the matchup between the two top teams in baseball? Yes. I don't think any one team... I think they both had great seasons. I think the Dodgers just won this one. And ironically, the one thing I was wrong about, I got the games right, I got everything right about the World Series, completely blew the man- managing. Completely thought the Rays Oh my God, because you thought that Kevin Cash I thought was... Kevin Cash was going to be the MVP of this. If, if the Rays won. I did say if the Rays well, won. Well, just misspoke a letter. It's LVP. 
I, I, I agree. Guess. I guess. Also, I guess so. if managers got that sort of award. Well, also, Dave Roberts did not have a hot, much of a hot series himself. I agree. I, 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 I still don't love Dave I Roberts. I think the Dodgers bailed him out. You know, Jock Peterson had a couple clutch hits. But we'll get bored to that. How much, how much does a manager really affect the game anyway? Kevin Cash! Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> let's, whoa, whoa, hold your horses. Uh, let's... The first three games, not super noteworthy. The Dodgers got ahead early in the series, won the first game. Rays quickly tied it back up in game two. Game three, the Dodgers pretty much had a blowout. So they had a firm position with a 2-1 to lead, commanding lead, with Kershaw and Bueller looming in the series again. And with the chance to go up in series 3-1, to the Dodgers had a crazy game four against the Rays, back and forth. I mean, the late innings were I incredible. Think was, I think it was like... Um, eight straight half innings where at least one run yeah. was scored. Yeah. It was it was not a slugfest per se, but it was, no, it was like, certainly very there exciting. There was this big home, like Lau hit a three-run home run to take the lead for the Rays. The Dodgers inched their way back. They got a go-ahead single from Jock Peterson. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier tied it right back up. And then Corey Seager again, you know, taking it right back, giving a, an RBS single, giving the Dodgers ahead. And then Camley Jansen, who was a big question mark going into the series, was he the closer? Dave Roberts refused to commit for a cl- to a closer for the playoffs and for the World Series. He had a kind of a rough 2000. Not a, well for his standards, a rough 2020. Not looking like his old self. He's kind of had a lot, of, a lot of innings on his arm. But yeah, I guess like he, I guess it's on Jansen, but it's also partially on the fielders. But Jansen with two outs, two runs on base, gave up a game tying single. We thought at the time to Brett Phillips. A virtual nobody, another Rays hitter coming in the clutch. And what should have been, you know, tie game going into the top of the 10th, um, Mookie Betts booted a ball. It was Chris Taylor. Chris yeah, Taylor. No, Taylor. no, it was Betts. It was 100% Betts. I don't think it was. It was 100% Betts in the outfield that booted the ball. No, it was if, Chris you're, Taylor. if you're confident, I will. I'm uh, so confident. Dude, it was, it was Mookie Betts. It was Mookie Betts. It was the right fielder, Mookie Betts. It wasn't the right fielder. It was the center fielder, Chris Taylor. <laughs> Continue, right. continue while I look this up. But continue this is a weird hill to die on that, but it was Mookie Betts because I text. Okay. Anyway, Mookie Betts threw the ball home. Uh, Rosarena's rounding around third. You know, you got to have a chance to win the game, so you're going to go for it. Uh, Rosarena tumbles around third base. Will Smith is he's pretty much waiting for the ball, and then he gets it. Rosarena's coming around. He gets up, and then Will Smith catches it, looks away, tag the runner, and is. The ball just flies out of his go- his glove. A Rosarina comes and scores, and the Rays win eight to seven in a wild game four. Rays had all the momentum we thought until you know the next night, game five. Kershaw had a pretty stellar performance. Two pretty solid starts in the World Series. He was certainly up for World Series MVP. I mean, obviously Seager had a historic series, but Kershaw pitched out of his mind. And he, he got up some jams. He got up some jams in Game Five. And See, I, it's almost remiss to say pitch out of his mind. This is Kershaw. We're only projecting on his past failures no, to say saying, that he pitched out I'm of his mind. Saying, this is like his mind. I'm just Kershaw's saying this that. Good. Well, I'm just saying that Kershaw pitched well. I mean, it's, I'm not saying that it was oh, a did surprise. You look it up, by the way, fair. And yeah, you're still wrong. Hilarious. It was actually Chris Taylor. And what happened? The, the sequence was Brennan was right. It was just Chris Taylor instead of Mookie Betts. Bobbles the play, throws it a Muncie. Muncie makes... Not, was it a Muncie? Yeah, I'm, I'm reading the... I'm reading I agree. It. So it's Chris Taylor to Muncie, then Muncie makes a little bit of a wide throw, and then Will Smith really should have caught the ball and tagged him, botched it. Basically, everyone on that play is at, is at fault to some degree. And um, 
you know, unfortunate for sure. Chris Taylor had a pretty bad series, actually, all in all, um, hitting and uh, well, it's no, it's, it's it's noteworthy. Um, Kenley Jansen, he blew the save. I mean, it should have been tied going to the top of the tenth, but you know, Will Smith made the defensive miscue. But yeah, Jansen he had one shot this World Series to close out a game. He blew it. Uh, Dave Roberts did not go at back to him. He didn't need him in Game Five, but in Game Six, where they clinched the title. Went to Julio Urias, who was a stud this entire postseason. He started a few games, and then went to the bullpen uh, in Game Six. He pitched two or three shutout innings to, yeah, clinch the first Dodger title in since 1988. Um, well, let's talk about the big Kahuna, the big question. The the biggest question that I can remember in terms of a managerial decision in recent World Series memory. Let's set the stage. So it's bottom six. The Dodgers are at bat. Blake Snell is pitching out of his mind. He is what 10, 11 I strikeouts. Agree. He had. He was nine strikeouts. Yeah, nine, strikeouts. nine strikeouts. It was five and a third. Nine five, strikeouts. Was, I think one or two hits at most. Second hit. He gave up his second just, hit on that play. He gave up his second hit, and the order was turning over again for the Dodgers. Now again, Snell was dealing. He only had seventy-three pitches, but Kevin Cash, knowing the analytics, decides to go to his bullpen and Nick Anderson, who was amazing all season but was struggling throughout the playoffs. True, yeah. And he comes in and just all hell breaks loose. He also blew it in game four multiple times, but yeah, he blew it again. Um, A testament to say, you know, the third time around the order, you know, Kevin Cash, despite what he was seeing with his eyes, despite what the whole world was seeing with Blake Snell dominating on the mound, he went with his game plan. Okay, Snell's only going to go through the Dodgers order twice, and then I'm going to flip it over to my my strength. You know, you got to play into your strengths. You know, so on the surface level, you can't really blink, you can't really look at it as a weird move, but obviously it backfired, and you know everyone really, uh, you know, fired him. him. Just, just yeah, the the whole baseball world exploded on Kevin Cash and Logan. We were watching the game yesterday. I w- I was going absolutely nuts. No, yeah, I'll well, say also this. he had seventy three pitches. But you go, you go, go ahead, Logan. I was gonna say this. I think we're also like neglecting something about Blake Snell. Like, yeah, he's had a couple like not so stellar seasons in the in the past couple. This guy has won more Cy Youngs than Garrett Cole. Now put this in perspective. Okay, like that's well, it's one to zero. <laughs> no, wait, no, but let's let's just think about it in this way. This is a this is not like a young guy who's not exposed in the playoffs, who has not stepped up in the big moment. This is a guy who has a Cy Young with seventy three pitches. And what we didn't know, say is that the so the lineup's turning over for the third time. It's one two three. These three batters were zero for six with six strikeouts this entire game. So. I don't even understand what previous analytics would have told you if they looked so bad for six straight at-bats. Why, like, why you think that now is the time to get fancy? And I tend to defend managers who do this. Like, I've defended Boone where my friends have not defended Boone, where he's turned over the... Well, Boone has done things like this, and we've said that's insane, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. This is much of the same, except in a moment like this... I know zero people that looked at this and said that was unequivocally the move. So glad it took out a Cy Young winner with 73 pitches with ten stri- nine strikeouts. Gave up two singles. Like, what? I'm so, sorry, weird. So Mookie Betts doubles, and that oh, puts I... runners on second and third. And then a wild pitch ties the game at one. And then a ground ball fielder's choice had Mookie running on the hit. 
and Mookie scored from third, making it 2-1. I don't think we should steam ahead, though. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. No, I want to. I think we should talk more about this. Um... No, I'm just giving a recap. And then Mookie homered in the bottom of the eighth, and then the Dodgers won 3-1. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> no, I think we. I want to hear your insights about, you know, obviously you disagree with it. I'm sure, like... No, it's not a matter of... It's not a matter of disagree or agree for me. It's what people were saying after... Like, after the Dodgers won and and all the celebrations were happening, and all the analysts jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, this is so terrible for the future of baseball. The managers are over-managing. Like, I mean, obviously this was the wrong move, but the, the Rays are prone to analytics. Like, you can't say that this was surprising. I mean, Snell didn't go over six innings in the regular season. Yeah, no, not, you, not also, you also can't say that this strategy is so unproven when statistically the batting average of a lineup increases its third time around facing a pitcher. I'm not saying I get the move. Obviously, the move was stupid, but it's the principle behind it that a lot of people are really angry about, which I think is totally unjustified. Absolutely unjustified. If you think that Kevin Cash... And his thinking with Blake Snell is is ruining the game of baseball. That is so absolutely incorrect. It 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 blows my mind how how backwards thinking some people are to say that this wave of analytics of making baseball a more cerebral game is taking the game backwards. I agree. Well, I think. Yeah, you can't ignore that the analytics brought the Rays to the dance and where they are now. So how bad could those analytics have actually been? Uh, also, these analysts that you know cry foul about pitchers, you know, these all these statistical like analytical decision making, like the reason why they have jobs are like you know Fox Sports or ESPN, like because of like decisions and yeah, they're not managers. Exactly, you're totally right. Yeah. Um, also, I wanted to say that. I would love to see the statistics, though. Of, I, I think I don't think all analytics are equal because you said that, um, you know, third time around the batting order, batting averages of course go up. The more time you see a pitcher, the more tired they get. He only had seventy three pitches, but I would love to see like the ERA of pitchers that start a game with five and a half innings pitch of one run and one hit, two hits and nine strikeouts. What their ERA like at, by average would look for like the next two or three innings after that, with that kind of start because. There needs to be some sort of balance where the eye test meets the analytics halfway and you have find a happy medium to where you're not solely you're not soulless and you're not totally just like playing the game in a simulation or on a computer. You have some sense of how the game is being played, like the emotions and the tension of a World Series game six. Blake Snell obviously was super fired up. He wanted to pitch the Rays to a game seven. So I don't know. Also the amount of pitches, like seven three pitches, like you can, you, you can say, like, third time around the batting over, order, but, like, Snell, 70 pitches, he had plenty left in the tank. He was visibly – this was not the first time in the playoffs. He was visibly upset about being taken out early in a game. So I think it just goes to show that, like, um, it's – also putting in Nick Anderson, like, a guy that's, like, has blown, like, worlds – has blown leads this World Series, has blown leads in the playoffs before so far. You know, that's another, like, thing with the eye test. Like, you know what, this guy maybe. Maybe you can't handle, like, pressure. It's not something you can put in a spreadsheet. And I'm, I love analytics. I, I, you know, that's what I want to do with, like, my life and career. So, I, I, you know, I'm not saying they're worthless, but there needs to be the balance of this where you're not wearing goggles and just are blind to what's going around you. 
No, I agree with that. You um, got to put in the right guy based on, how, you know, moment, you got to account for momentum, how a guy's feeling, like, mentally. How, I, I totally agree with that. My, it's just my one problem is, is everybody attacking the analytical strategy. I, I am a firm believer that the only reason why the Rays got to the World Series, the only reason why they can compete is because of their analytics team behind the scenes. That us as regular baseball fans, maybe some more than others for those listening, like, like no matter what, we're all just regular baseball fans. We don't control these teams. There is stuff that, I mean, I'm sure if we put in the research that we would understand a lot more, but that's, that's tons and tons of reading that we all just don't have time for. Except these guys devote their lives to making sure that their teams win, and when there's no salary cap in a sport that has just luxury taxes and big markets, sometimes teams have to find competitive advantages, and that spurs innovation. I, I don't think anyone's saying that, well, I'm sure some people did say, like, analytics are totally stupid, but, like, obviously, if you're a successful, sport, any sports franchise, you're using analytics in some sense. Every firm, every successful business nowadays in the 21st century is using analytics and technology to further advance their product or services. So, it just, the, the amount of, like, I would say... It's really brains versus brawn is, is the perfect analogy for it. Liberals versus conservatives. All right. <laughs> no, this is what I'll say about this, and I'll take the the um. Let's let's break this down. I'm very left on analytics. <laughs> the reason that the Rays and teams don't like putting their play their pitchers in for three times through the order is, as Matt said, the batting average goes up. But the the reason behind that is overexposure, right? A a, a manager does not want to overexpose their pitcher to batters that might have success third time around that they didn't have first and second. My biggest argument against this in this particular instance, because you'll never, I don't really think in absolutes in baseball, I don't think one strategy can be applied to every single game and you win. I don't think anything can be applied to anything and just, you, it, like, you need to be flexible. I think the Rays were just a little too stiff in this game. The reason I don't like this particularly in the context of this game is that you took out probably the hottest pitcher on the planet at this point and put in a pitcher who is literally overexposed this entire postseason. Like, innings-wise, yeah. Nick Anderson was put in in a million clutch situations early in games, multiple innings. Like, he was overexposed in every single series. So to say that you don't want to overexpose your starter who's only been shown to this team once against the reliever who's been shown probably every batter has seen Nick Anderson in the World Series, it seems odd to me. I, I don't really... Get, and I know, I'm sure there's stats to back up their decision. I don't understand it in that context. And I don't think that... It's, I, I'll say this. The Rays can make the World Series, and I find that incredible in itself. They're going to have a very hard time consistently winning, just in general. They're always a good team, but they'll have a hard time consistently winning if they're going to be this rigid across the board. They have to bend a little bit, or else they're just using stats over everything else. It doesn't always apply. You can't live in the probability sphere. You have to live in, in like logic yeah. sometimes. I think we're all a little bit of both. I think we're all speaking the same tune here, but um I wanna make a point to say that I don't think this type of you know s- storm of you know anger and confusion and frustration is happening if it's not a World Series game that clenches the Dodgers title. If this is any like regular season game where Cash makes the same move and results in a loss, oh it just you know Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And also, 
analytics sometimes are only as good as the players that form for you. Like, Nick Anderson could have came in and he could have dealt for two innings and people could have said, oh, okay, like, well, Kevin Cash was a genius. Like, that was the cutting-edge move. Like, how many managers would have had the guts to take out a pitcher that was dealing in a do-or-die game six and went with Nick Anderson? So, yeah, Nick Anderson made Kevin Cash look foolish. So, I don't put 100% of the blame on Kevin Cash, and it's probably a strategy that the whole front office as a, as a whole, the front office devised with Cash before the game saying, Snell is only going this amount, you know, of batters into the game regardless of how he's doing. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I will say this, it's ironic, because when the Yankees did this with Debbie Garcia, I remember saying, I was, I was defending it for the same reason that you just said, where it's like, the... How do I, how do I say this? The, like, anal- the analytics put the player in the best position to succeed, and it's up to the player at that point right. to make their manager look good. Like, I, I, I remember saying the exact quote, like... Boone didn't put in this pitcher for him to suck. And then everyone laughed at me. But it's like, in reality, well, like... It's like, totally true, yeah. I, I think Cash put in the wrong pitcher there. I, I, oh, yeah, so do I. Yeah, oh, oh, that's a given. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that, that's, that's my point. He literally set the record, like, like Nick Anderson set the record for, like, most postseason consecutive appearances with giving up at least one run. Yeah, so he was overexposed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're right, though. Like... It's not just the strategy at fault. It's the it's there were multiple things at fault. Really, Nick Anderson was the wrong guy, and the strategy was a little questionable. Put those together, and you created a recipe for disaster. Hence the loss. However, they also the Rays didn't hit. That's also like the next point. Yeah, I was yeah. A Rosarena had a first inning home run, and they didn't score after that. Yeah, no. Before we talk about Rosarena, we definitely got to give a huge shout out to Randy Rosarena, the only player for the Rays that really hit this whole season. Maybe Magdaleno, but um. <laughs> Thanks uh, for giving my about like four hundred. hit some clutch things. Thanks for giving my uh, World Series MVP prediction. I had Kiermaier, so put some respect on my name. You no. had Kevin Cash. No, I was gonna I say. I was gonna say. I think um I was a really big proponent for like mixing the mixing and balance of analytics and just baseball IQ. I think that's just heightened more in a World Series, where emotions and adrenaline's at an all time high as opposed to a regular season game with no fans. Like, I think that's where you you play more, you know, paint-by-numbers, go with the strategy, you know, regardless of what's happening around you in the game, regardless of what, you know, how far you are in the standings. But in a World Series game, I think you let a little bit more um, leeway go with your players, you know, and go more with your gut. I mean, it happened to the Mets in 2015, Mets my quota, where Matt Harvey <laughs> uh, convinced himself in the staying in game and he obviously stayed in too long, and he was gassed out. Imagine if Terry Collins had pulled Matt Harvey in Game 5 of that game, and Familia blew it, blew it anyway. Yeah, you would have three championships instead of two. <laughs> no. Well, people would have been saying, oh, well, if Terry Collins had let Harvey, would have let Harvey stay in, stay in, the Mets would have won that game and maybe a World Series. But obviously Matt Harvey convinced himself to stay in, and he blew it anyway. So it, it just goes to show that, like, I don't know, like, you got to... I think what we're well, yeah. I think what we're all saying is that we all understand the idea of what Cash did. We all thought it was the wrong time to execute it, but we all think that this sort of thinking might be the way of the future. But also, still trust your gut. But also, don't say that this is archaic when it's literally the new age of baseball. Okay. Or don't live in absolutes. Only a Sith lives in absolutes or deals in absolutes. My apologies. I agree. I agree. Let's let's. Randy Rosarena. Let's switch to two good things that happened to the Rays, such as Randy Rosarena. 
Obviously, on HGH, I'm not going to stop saying that theory until I'm proven otherwise. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a gift from God. Class. <laughs> <laughs> no, Randy had, I mean, statistically, he had probably the best postseason, like, ever. Most hits, ones. most home runs ever in a postseason. Yeah, I mean, it is also, like, the longest playoff no, yeah, in history. Has... So, like, that's, like... But I'm sure if you broke it down, like, and home it, runs and, per game. And his ALDS won five games, his ALCS won seven games, and the World Series won six games. Oh, no, so, yeah, and he probably played the most... Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you have to do, still like, homers per... No, of course it's still impressive. I'm just saying. Like, you have to do, like, homers per game on average, which... Just to be mentioned with those guys. You, you have to do it per pitch scene. That's, that's the real stat. <laughs> Put it this way, I, I can't even tell you how many times I looked up at the screen and he was like three for four, and the Rays had five hits total. And it's like, well, well yeah. obviously you're scoring two runs a game because like Randy has two. That's the beautiful thing about baseball, though. You can't bet nine straight times. You got to bet once every nine at well, bets. He almost pulled it out with this one hitter for the most of the postseason. Uh, Brandon Lau was showed signs of breaking out a little bit, but um, Mike Rousseau, uh, Willie Adamas never really got going, but Mike Rousseau, G. Mike Choi. Guys, they kind of make mix and match. Yandy Diaz, those are guys that weren't necessarily playing every day. They would be hitting different spots of the order, you know, playing different positions, you know, lefty righties. Uh, I believe that Austin Meadows, Austin Meadows maybe had, he had a home run against the Yankees. I don't know if he, or the Astros. I don't know if he hit well in the. Really, Kiermaier. I don't think Kiermaier, Kiermaier has a big hit of his defense. Yeah, I mean, that it's really the, the fact of the matter is, aside from that one game where both teams hit very well. The Rays hit very poorly, and the Dodgers hit just a lot better. Not they didn't hit perfectly; they didn't do like amazing, but they definitely they hit, hit very well. They had timely hits. Was yeah. Really also, hit. like Muncy had, had a Muncy had a really high batting average. Betts actually Betts had ti- Betts was very timely yeah, with his, his stolen base bases. Running was yeah, incredible. I think he had five steals in the World Series. That's like, like two and a half free tacos. Yeah, it literally nice. insane. <laughs> Corey Seager won the World Series MVP. Yeah, insane. When, what a when, comeback story. Rob Manfred, when he was giving him the award, sounded like he was having a stroke. Did anyone hear that? Yeah, I did. He was uh, also getting booed up the No, I know. I couldn't hear like, over the booze, to be honest. Also, <laughs> like, joke. Ju- uh, Justin Turner having the catch of his life being COVID. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. We're, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get there in a few minutes. <laughs> it's brutal. No, he also, he also had some huge hits. He had a huge home run. Yeah, he had, he had two first inning home runs that set the table for the Dodgers and games four and five? Uh, yeah, I, don't know I think it was four and five. I think it was four. He definitely had a home run. I wonder if, if George Springer did something similar to that for the Astros in either of their World Series. I know he, he has, has like, runs. Yeah, he yeah. has like the most. I think maybe Acuna has more now recently, but like the two of those guys have like hit a ridiculous amount. Well, the record the record for leadoff home runs in like a in like seasonal play is Ricky Henderson. But like I think how many though? Like 80 plus for his career. That's just yeah. a ridiculous stat. How do you even like do that? Yeah, well, he was amazing. But we're not talking about Ricky Henderson today. That's you guys want to do your uh, that's our MVPs speed. and LVPs for each team before we talk about uh, well MVP. I'll, how about this? How about this? Let's set a rule. It can't be Seager. So okay. I wasn't going to say Seager. Okay. I, I probably would have. I, I have a sexy pick in mind. Don't worry. Okay, I'll give I'll give my I'll give my LVP. How about this? I'll say Urias. Let's do LVP for the Rays. MVP for the Dodgers. Fair? Fair. Okay. Sure. So okay. so I think my MVP is going to go to Kershaw. I mean, he pitched pretty well in his two starts. I think he was 2-0. Mm-hmm. I mean, he won 50% of the Dodgers games, and he's yeah. deserved a ring for, for years. Uh, it's a great comeback story, too. He had a battle with back injuries, so to make it back in, at this high level and 
contributing to a World Series title is pretty incredible. He so, also yeah, made like six starts too. He made like six or seven postseason starts and had like an, a sub three ERA. He did great. No, exactly. Yeah. I think LVPs should be a little bit obvious. Like I, I, I hinted I at it before. Look at stats work because he was maybe he like also right no, he was great. Yeah. It's just he only started one game. So if if, if he pitched game he, seven, yeah. if he probably he wins won, World Series if, MVP. Yeah, him and yeah. him and Kershaw would split it. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, I don't know. Which has happened before. That was Randy MVP? Johnson and Kurt Schilling yeah. split it in two thousand one. My LVP, I I think it's got to be Nick Anderson. I, I mean, he blew it in Game Six. He had a, yeah. a a pretty not meh, but a little bit worse than that postseason in general. And uh, the fact that he didn't pitch so well and had such a high ERA um, hurt the Rays in the long run. And in the short run. Can't really argue against that one of yours. Yeah, I mean, I, realistically, I probably would have said the same thing, but I'll I'll pick different people because I like we could do that for the LVP. We have freedom to do that. I agree. I'm gonna say Adames. Uh, I was thinking about him for the LVP for the Rays. Here's the thing, like he is one of their few everyday players, and he yeah. like was horrible every day. Like it's like one of those things I where agree. it's like every time he came up to bat. Are you I mean, really an everyday player if you're horrible every well, day? You know what it is well, like. Walter Franco coming soon. Yeah. I, yes. But also, it's like, yeah, like, you hate to see it, because he also made the final out in the World Series. It's like, that was also just, like, perfectly set up for me to... Glorious yeah, looking. perfectly for me to set up to hate him right now. Thank but, you. yeah, not a huge fan of Adames here. Uh, didn't love the way he played at all. And for the Dodgers, interesting. I don't know. I mean... Uh, yeah, did you say Mookie? You didn't even say Mookie. I'll say Mookie. I just didn't say Mookie because he didn't have the greatest batting no, average. No, you know what it is, though? And he you know, batting average was average. his trademark. But I agree, but he also, he really, he made such a big impact on every single game. Like, it's incredible the amount of impact he had running the bases alone, let alone with the defense and then the timely hitting as well. Because he also, he had that nice sweetener homer in game in six, game six where, you know, Game was already kind of put on ice, then he just hit a dinger. It wasn't even on ice. That was a huge insurance. It was 2 one. That was well, a huge insurance run. I mean, obviously, but with hindsight, the Rays didn't do anything. No, but it felt, but it felt like a foregone conclusion, and then he hit a dinger, and it was like, ah, oh, yes. Nice. As a Yankee fan, I love Mookie. For some reason, I love him. I, I, I love him. All right. Well, Logan's so. mentally deranged, but Brendan, please. Yeah, Mookie Betts is such a good pick. He's 26 years old, and he's already a two-time World Series champion. Pretty and impressive. And he's earning a billion dollars for and the rest of his life. And he's the richest man, one of the richest men in baseball. Uh, my pick for, I'll do LVP for the Rays. Um, I was going to do Brent Allout, but he hit a couple of clutch home runs this series. So I don't want to pick um, Nick Anderson. He's an easy scapegoat. Um... I'll go with Austin Meadows. I, I kind of mentioned him before, but kind of was a ghost of the World Series. Didn't really like he's kind of was the anchor of the Rays' lineup in 2019, and was kind of primed to have to build off on that and become a real full-fledged superstar for the Rays. He and Lau, but Lau hit the clutch hits. Meadows really didn't do much of anything. Also, Glasnow was pretty bad. Glasnow, I was I was thinking Glasnow too. He was bad. Charlie yes. Morton was my original pick for MVP of the World Series, and he had a. Well, if he yeah. had started Game Seven and won, then maybe we'd be talking about something else. But the whole, the whole, really, the whole Rays pitching staff, except for Snow, is bad. But Meadows, like, I agree. I think <laughs> at the end of the day, the Dodgers outhit the the Rays here, and Rodriguez couldn't do it by himself. Austin Meadows needed to have a better series, needed to have more timely hits. Uh, my MVP for the Dodgers was Julio Urias. He obviously closed out the World Series, but. He really, I believe, what, what what game was it where he came in? But he really bailed out um, 
Was it Gonsolin or May? Yeah, it was like the game, the bullpen game. It might have been yeah. game two. I think it was. I think Gonsolin. They lost. Started, no, he started. They he lost. started a game. He started. No, it, it was game four. Urias started game four. The Cardinals oh, you're right. Game. You're right. You're it right. was game four, and he was dealing. And then they took out Urias, and I think the Dodgers believer gave up like a lead off the go ahead home run to Lau. Yes, it was a three run home so run. Urias, was, oh yes, you're right. Oh yeah, no, you're totally. And so Urias was runs on Urias. Urias yeah. was excellent that game. Uh, also, Urias he closed it out. Uh, Dave Roberts trusted after Kelly Jansen blew up in his face. He trusted Julio Urias at the hot hand. That's what I mean by mixing analytics with like baseball IQ and like the eye test. Like Kelly Jansen obviously didn't have it in Game Four. And Urias is a trained starter, and he only pitched an inning and a third coming in. Yeah, so. but he saw that he went with the hot hand, saying like, "Oh, you know what, Kelly Jansen is my guy." But you know what, Julio Urias is like on fire right now. We Rays can't hit him, so he's gonna ride us to our World Series title. So Urias is my MVP, but Betts and Kershaw are all great picks. I was thinking, I think Justin Turner deserves a shout out. A shout out. Best catch of the year, easy. COVID, obviously. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, this is a little. This is a little tough. I'll say that. He also, I think he tweeted, and someone could fact check me. I think he tweeted that he was like very sad that he couldn't celebrate with his team. He and did, then, and then, then he posted did a picture of him celebrating without a mask with his team. Yeah. After being pulled in inning six. That's that, that's uh that's a suspension right there. Yeah. He, that, he honestly might get suspended. He broke. MLB, no, he will literally get suspended. MLB, yes. MLB yeah. released a statement saying that he broke the the protocols, so he's gonna get some sort of punishment. No, he's gonna get suspended, and like I don't want to be morbid because these are or, athletes. Or his beard will have to get chopped off. He's gonna get more. He's points. gonna be suspended more than any Astros player, which is hilarious. Yeah, no, I agree. With <laughs> oh, you. that is true. Oh yeah, no, it's so <laughs> brutal. It's so brutal. But no, what I was gonna say is like, I, not to be morbid, like these are athletes. They're very healthy, but you never know with coronavirus, like. He may have – it's almost certain he's infected someone in this – him hugging everyone in the world. And kiss his wife. I agree. Side. I agree. That's and gross. No. He kissed his wife? Yeah. Well, with, with a deadly disease. No, oh, but, like, can, on, you imagine, one, one, one. can you imagine – Can you imagine the optic here? God forbid that someone gets seriously ill from this. If you oh, thought MLB terrible. ratings were bad now, you can uh, only imagine how the publicity alone will be. Like, Manfred will be – I, no, Dang I agree. It. I agree it's bad publicity, but I think the people on Twitter that say, oh, I'm never watching again. Like, no, no, yeah, everyone's going to watch, but it's like, it's bad. This is bad. No, it's, it's bad. For, yeah. I, I, I Meanwhile, there, there are guys convicted of domestic violence think, in the NFL, and that's the most popular sport I in America. I think it's bad. So. That, <laughs> it's a bad look that, for whatever reason, obviously Turner was tested before, and the result came back inconclusive, and he took a, another test during the game, a rapid test, and it came back positive. But just the optics of, you know, having a player with an inconclusive COVID test, you know, going out to the field and playing, you know, being in the dugout, um, without, you know, not playing with a mask, whatever, like, it's just bad optics for baseball in general, who didn't, the sport that did not have a positive COVID test for over, like, two months, I believe, they were, they were on fire with their COVID testing, and they had zero major leaguers test positive for the last, like, two months, so it was clearly working. Also, they were in a bubble, so, like, Turner must have, like, maybe he had family... you know, was flown in and like they were staying with him, or I don't know. I don't know what he does. I but. mean, he was in. They were in Dallas, no matter how safe they were. They were in a in a major city, so yeah. No, Anything it wasn't, happen, it wasn't like know. a bubble like the NBA bubble. It was a bubble like the NFL bubble, where even the NFL is actually not really in a bubble. But like I, yeah, they were in one Fair. place where it's like they're in one place, but there was movement in and out of the place, so you always run the risk. Really, Brennan's right. Like I do COVID testing now. 
as a job on the side. And, and we like, thank you for your service. Right. And like put it in perspective, if I get an inconclusive test, like that person's not going anywhere. And like they're on the phone, like I'm on the phone with them as I'm finishing the test. Like you would not at, under any circumstance have an inconclusive and then like wait a period of hours and be like, yeah, you're good to play. And then it's like, oh, we'll test you. Like, we'll test you, and then, like, it comes back negative. Like, what? It comes back positive? Like, that's horrible. That's just, like, horrible. Yeah, Brennan's definitely right on this. Like, he should not have been in this game if he came back with anything less than a negative. It's weird, though, because, like, what do you do? Like, you, what if uh, you take out Turner's back and the guy... And he, and he comes it, back it, negative? It, 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 no, but it impacts the game in some way. Like, let's say Turner was due up in the order, but, you know... Justin Turner's out of the game because of COVID, and now like and then Joe Schmo is yeah. has to hit the bases loaded, and like it directly no. impacts the, oh, the game. Oh, and, and this and is then why... if the Rays win, oh my God, that's meme central right there. No, and this is why whenever that's why everyone will always talk about the legitimacy of sports during COVID. Like everyone slams the bubble, like the three point shooting was up through the roof. Like there's always legitimacy concerns with with players opting out. Like always, that's always going to be in contention. The thing with this type of situation where he got pulled mid-game in a World Series, like, crazy. Also, the fans, I, like, I don't know if anyone knew that. I just didn't know. We had no idea why he was pulled. And then, like, at the end of the game, we all got a tweet, and it was like, he has COVID. And then we just watched him celebrate. It was just, like, a weird – it was a weird thing to uh, to witness. But, it, yeah, I agree um, that, like, pulling him mid-game had a huge impact, or it could have had a huge impact. Luckily, it didn't. I agree. You know? Yeah. But, like, that's the cost of life. You literally have to pull him, obviously. Yeah. Well, they tried. So, Turner was, once he was found out to be positive, MLB called the Dodgers and told them, hey, get Turner out of there. He's positive. So, he was replaced. He was told to be in isolation and was told he could not go out on the field to celebrate. Um and then he went out on the field and celebrated. Well, I well actually, they, they may have said like maybe only like for a, a quick picture or whatever, like with the mask on. And then Turner just stayed for like a half an hour on the field with no mask. A security was trying to, you know, usher him off, but he, you know, he, he along with teammates were just disre- disregarding them, and you know, fearful of like making a scene on national TV and you know potentially contracting COVID from, from Turner. So definitely a really ugly situation, and man, they were just, they were so close to pulling. I mean, they did pull it off. I mean, Game Six is in the books, and the Dodgers won the World Series. But imagine if the Rays pulled it out, and we had all this uncertainty about you know like the incubation period of you know fourteen days, like who did Turner affect? Like I I know today the Dodgers were clear to fly home to L.A. and they had no positive tests, but who knows? You know that's probably you know. Yeah, that's weird. That's all. Um, be some positive, probably. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's yeah. like it's optimistic to think that you know maybe their Turner didn't affect anyone, but it's hard to believe that he didn't affect one single employee of the Dodgers. Like he, there's like MLB officials like Rob Manfred was there, like Dave Roberts was a cancer survivor. So like, there's other implications besides like oh this Kershaw have COVID. Like, I don't know. It's like you know people that you know, work on the field, people that sell popcorn. Uh, I don't know, who's, who's in the field? Lauren Shahadi. There's, there's, there's people that Ken are... Rosenthal. No, yeah, He's bow ties. 100%. If someone gets sick and, God forbid, gets really seriously ill, this is going to be a, a wicked problem. And I guess we'll revisit that in a week or two, or hopefully never, but, but we'll see. Before, you know, I don't want to harp on this for too much longer, but 
people do make the kind of argument, and we're not going to talk about COVID, you know, whatever, but, like, we're going to talk about, like, it's a once-in-a-lifetime moment to win a World Series, and, like, you know, he deserves some sort of celebration, so it's tough to, like, you know, maybe Turner, Turner probably knew he was, he was breaking the protocol, but, you know, he's like, you know what, I'm going to celebrate this moment, and I'm not going to care about any of the outside noise, so... I guess it was his decision, but he'll probably have to pay some sort of consequences. And you know, God, for you know, Godspeed. No one gets, you know, ill or sick from this. But uh, that kind of wraps up the World Series. And want to kind of talk? What we want to put in? Yeah, I, I will. I will do our beautifully um, orchestrated transition. Um, the the bottom line for the World Series is I remember talking with my uncle about all of the COVID. Uh, seasons that have gone on in sports, and he he specifically said that none of it was legitimate. I think if oh, any yeah. if any of the seasons were legitimate, it's the baseball season because the right team won. The Dodgers from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty the best winning percentage over a four year stretch in baseball history. I agree. I agree. It makes it look good, but I don't think no. It's not a matter of one's legitimate. No, it's not a matter of looking good. It's a matter of it's a matter of. I think it was legitimate if the um, well. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if the Marlins won, that it wouldn't have been legitimate. I'm just saying that that it's easier to justify it being legitimate that the best team in the National League won. Yeah, that's a much better way to frame it. No, not just the best team in the National League. The best team in baseball over the past four years historically. So yeah. So the bottom line is, as Brendan pours more of his whiskey, <laughs> we we want to congratulate the Dodgers. It's breakfast? What are you talking about? Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> Brendan's an alcoholic. We want to congratulate the Dodgers um, and their fans for suffering for the past thirty-two years and finally making it Man. over the hump. Talk to Indians fans or Rays fans. Uh, well, Rays fans are but not Rangers fans, Brewers fans. Uh, we more could, suffering franchises. We could go on. The Rays aren't that. You know, yeah, poverty. Indians blew a three-one lead. But so again, we just want to congratulate the Dodgers. It was uh, a weird but wonderful season overall, and we can't wait to see how Rob Manfred messes up the twenty twenty-one season. Anyway, well, <laughs> I think we all agree it's legitimate. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's kind of like put a re- recap on this on the season. Uh, I want to talk about the possibility that Rob Manfred mentioned that he'd like to see the expanded playoff format continue in 2021, and also reports that the DH may be here, to, you know, maybe staying out of the National League for the 2021 season and possibly for a few more years. So I, w- I want to, like, you know, yeah, I mean, we've 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 talked about yeah, this. yeah, but yeah, we're all in favor of of the DH um, in the National League. Oh, are we? I know, I know, you, I know you are, but I want to. Oh, no, I'm hundred percent. Yeah, I think we all are. Yeah, and I don't want to see another pitcher. I barely see pitchers bat, and I never want to see it. I want to see Madison Bumgarner hit one more home run. He's probably a better oh, DH. Oh, who was the first teams. DH in the National League to hit a home run? I have no idea. Are you asking like you, this? You want to suspect this? Oh yeah, that's true. Oh whoa whoa! Well, he was the first DH this... in a National League game. Uh, yeah, you oh, hold on okay. to that stat forever and ever. He's yeah, all, he's he he quit on your team like three I, games. I, I hate Cespedes. <laughs> I've not liked Cespedes since like twenty seventeen. Also, he's a right free agent. He's, he's no longer he's no longer a Met. So good riddance. Hilarious. Um, Breaking news: Cespedes resigned. Three years, eighty million. <laughs> no, I, I think the expanded playoffs are stupid. <laughs> I think they're stupid, but I think. This year, it showed that 
with the Dodgers and the Rays, the two best teams in each league going to the World Series, it shows that it can lead to, you know, the right team, the right teams, quote unquote, being in the World Series. But I don't think it, you know one one simulation, one running of that will prove that a team like the Marlins or a team like the Reds or I don't know the Blue Jays couldn't have made it to the World Series like an eight an eight seed like a below five hundred team. So I don't love it. Obviously, I think most baseball people, most baseball fans aren't a fa- aren't a fan of eight teams in each league making the playoffs. Uh, I, I think mostly it would have to do mostly with money reasons, and just like having the most interest in you know baseball with like TV ratings and possibly like limited capacity with playoff um, like fans and like having ticketing and whatnot. Um, because obviously the game has lost so much, every sport, every business has lost so much money during the pandemic. So baseball is maybe trying to recoup some of that, those losses by having more teams in the mix, selling more, you know, having more post postseason games on, on television, having more gates, get more cash flow in for the, you know, those, those teams suffering right now. Um, Look, if you want to put eight teams in each league in the postseason, expand the league. Give Montreal a franchise back already. I don't Give think. Race. I don't think. I'm down. I, I, no, but I'm saying expand the here's league. Here's what I think is going to happen. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think that the league really wants this 16 playoff, you know, half the league gets in the playoff for one more year at least so they can maximize, you know, revenue for the season and get themselves, you know, for, for you know, kind of get themselves past the COVID losses and whatnot. But I think they're using that and they're threatening not having the DH next year as a bargaining ship because I think the players are going to offer up expanded playoffs. The players don't want expanded playoffs. The players like the legitimacy of having five teams in each league being in the playoffs. I think they also like their time off, low-key. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Honestly, but I don't the, think every yeah. team wants to win. I don't think every player wants to win a World Series. But well, all right. Well, <laughs> no, not exactly the players, what I was thinking. The players but... don't want the expanded playoffs. The players want the DH because that's 30 more jobs. That's 30 more DHs, whatever. 30 more hitters can get deals. Um, so I think Players will allow, will accept maybe a 16-game expanded playoff format for, that's 16-team 16, 16 expanded playoff format for about another season or two in exchange for uh, the continued use of the DH in the National League. So that's my take of where this is going. I agree that I want a full-time DH without expanded playoffs, but I think that's just where the league is kind of like posi- positioning themselves and in going into the winter. Yeah, I mean, it's no it's no secret that the MLB lost over $3 billion this year, but that's why you call in guys like Steve Cohen to bail out baseball. <laughs> well, well, we'll see if the, the Blasio blows that up, but baseball could you really use this cash ASAP. But um, let's talk about the 2020 season in general. Um, surprises, disappointments, breakouts, and then we can kind of transition into, like, baseball. 2020 as a whole in the baseball universe, you know, We've had we've seen a lot of like losses for historical figures like Tom Seaver, Al Kaline, Joe Morgan, Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, uh, Lou Brock. So we can kind of like gloss over their careers, talk about their contributions to the game. But let's have a quick recap of the 2020 season. You know, takeaways. Um, I'm surprised by the Reds. They got a wild card spot. Uh, they had a really star-studded rotation with Castillo, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer. Nick Castellanos and Stockers were definitely helpful for the lineup. Um, MVP is probably going to be Freddie Freeman. So the Braves, I guess I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised that like 
Freddie Freeman almost like he said he almost like passed away because of COVID, and he had his best season ever. Yeah, maybe he should get COVID every year. <laughs> Rosen right now also had COVID. Just saying. Yeah, did. maybe this COVID thing isn't so bad. All right, let's. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, good. so so yeah, I was surprised by I was surprised that the Rays were the number one seed. I wasn't surprised that they were going to be good. I was just surprised that everything worked out, and I was surprised that they made the World Series. Just in a holistic sense, um, I was. What else was I surprised about? I was totally surprised that the Twins lost eighteen consecutive playoff games. That was pretty terrible. Oh, um, are you surprised? Precedents. Yeah, I agree. I'm not even surprised a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but it's a different year. That's not precedence. That's <laughs> it's just a weird streak. It's a trend. It's literally a trend. Yeah, no, I actually agree with Brendan on this one. All right, fine. I'm a, I was a little surprised, I think. They need an ace, but, you know, off-season review, uh, preview in a few weeks. Or maybe Sunday or Monday. We'll see. But um, I was very excited to see the Marlins finally make the playoffs again. Agreed. I thought that was very fun. Sad to see their their record die as the only Major League Baseball team who was uh, 100% in terms of winning playoff series. I was super happy for the Padres, though. Like, like all the yeah. teams that, like, broke a lot of playoff streaks, like the Marlins, the Padres, the White Sox. I mean, the White Sox were probably one of the biggest surprises. I was just about to say White Sox was my biggest surprise. Yeah, those teams, like, really deserved it, and it was only... Only a matter of time that they were going to make the playoffs without the expanded playoffs. And then as soon as the expanded playoffs happened, I think we I think we pretty much knew the White Sox and Padres were going to be up for contention, and then the Marlins were just kind of like, hello, we are here. Well, the Padres traded for, like, a ton of players in the trade deadline, so, like, I'm sure that was that was a surprise to me. They were so aggressive in buying. Yeah, AJ Preller was going to say, AJ Preller does this for a living. I don't know. Well, when he has a window, he Well, does. he literally has a general that's manager. That's a good point. But, like, even so, like, Clevenger was a huge get for them. They gave up, like, nothing. Yeah, no, I agree. I volume think, or quality, I think. Yeah, that's not a good model of success. I, I, but, I'm not disagreeing. I'm yeah, saying, no, I agree. Indians like. I, I suppose. I don't know. The Indians and Padres just love trading with each other. I'll say right this. I Actually, think, is that true? Yeah, Brad. Yeah, yeah. Brad Hand. Yeah. Mejia. Mejia, yeah. Yeah. Brad okay. Hand, Frank Robinson. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to say, I think the White Sox had the, the they, they were very surprising this year. Um, they had an incredible year for so much of the year. They were leading the division. Um, and then they blew it at the end, but it's whatever. Yeah, they were still the best team in the division, though, I, I would argue. Wasn't it Bray who had his best yeah, team ever? Yeah, oh also my Tim gosh. Anderson. Tim Anderson's they also both had insane they years. Both and they both are going to get... Jimmy through a no-hitter? They're I both going to get MVP recognition know. because the White Sox were so good, and no one knew... Well, I mean, people knew who I think Bray won was. the MVP, but we'll get there also. I think I predicted him to win the MVP, but... No, you, you did, you did. Who? I, you know, who I, 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 I think I had DJ. We both had DJ. I picked Freeman. For N- for NL. Well, that's true. I had Freeman for NL. I think so did I. I don't know, maybe I said. No, you didn't. I may have said bets for argument's sake. Get out of here! You didn't have Freeman. Freeman. Well, people were saying Tatis in August. I said Freeman. No, 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 no. People, people were saying Tatis in like August. We're like, oh no, Freddie Freeman. So like, I'm yeah. glad we recognized by the his, time his by the time that we recorded that uh, episode, it was pretty clear that. Freddie Freeman was going to be the MVP rather than Fernando Tatis Jr., which isn't to say that Tatis and Acuna are not the future of baseball. And I know we say that about every, like, sophomore. Pete Alonso. Like, yeah, <laughs> Pete Alonso, of course. 
<laughs> oh god. Uh, yeah, I'll just continue with my surprising picks. <laughs> no, I. So yeah, I have the White Sox and the AL. Um, I, I, I'll say this: I think the Yankees were super disappointing this year. I, I, I really, I, I, I mean, injuries, honestly, but like, really tough. Like, yeah, no, it was a tough. Year. Sur- I'm surprised at how bad that looked. It for was a, while a tough there. year finishing above 500 and being the sixth seed. It was tough. <laughs> no, I, yeah, going winning like ten in a row, but also losing ten in a row. No, and then I also, in the NL, I really... Yeah, the, the Reds kind of surprised me, but they weren't even so good. I'll say this. The Padres, yeah, I agree, were, like, the most surprising. I think they had the second-best record in the NL. They did, behind the like, Dodgers. They played the Dodgers ten times. Like, that's hard. Yeah. That's really difficult. I'm sure their Pythagorean wins and losses are pretty solid. Yeah, also, one team that also surprised me, the Diamondbacks were terrible, and I really well, I expected was, them to I'm be good. I'm never a believer in Mad Bum. You could go back to, like, the first episode. But, like, you not believing in Mad Bum is not looking at his, like, 3.4 ERA in his career and, like, his Doesn't three matter. ERA in his I think Bumgarner will have a comeback next year. I guess. He will be well, fine. Well, Ranky had a bad first year in Arizona, too. I, I could not agree more. I think they will be yeah, fine. Yeah, but it's not like... A, that hold offense, on. Matt, also, has the Marte, right anyway, well, so They traded fine. Marte, but that... I well, mean, they have a Marte. I was going to say, they had the Martes. And now they have Marte. They have Marte. Who they, does so well in the in franchise mode does, of the show. That, that whole team is, is filled with guys. But So that's my surprising picks. Um, and we'll segue this into uh, other baseball news, uh, which I'll let Matt... Lead us into. Oh wait, I have some, I have some oh, disappointments Brandon's actually. Some. I have right. some disappointments actually. I was gonna say the Brewers were a huge disappointment in my eyes because you picked them to be in the World Series. I did. I picked the Brewers to be in the World Series. There, my playoff prediction. You know, the Rays over the Brewers was my pick. Um, Christian Yelich, he had some a horrible year. He had a horrible. Well, he year. had a horrible year, but I think I don't think he was himself. I think he had injury concerns heading into the year. I think he was a little bit playing a little bit banged up. Um, the rotation, the Brewers isn't ever a good rotation, but their bullpen only strategy just kind of flamed out on them this year. They lost Mustagas and Grindall in the offseason, and they didn't really recapture those that production with obviously Garcia and uh, who's that second baseman? Herrera. Keston Herrera, but he was good. he was. Both of you try it again. Keston Herrera. Keston Wira. All right, stop the presses. We have a guest here. Our our good our good buddy and Brendan and Logan's roommate Matt Benack. Well, <laughs> Matt, did you like the Yankees this year? Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So that's enough out of Matt. It's <laughs> terrible. No. Uh, Keston Huayra, whatever his name is, is actually really good. And he had a really good year. But well, in general, Jays, the Blue Jays were a surprise. They the Blue Jays. Oh, the Blue Jays were a surprise. Bo Bichette. Uh, who well, else was like good for them? For like half the year, to be honest. Bobochet, well, Vlad wasn't that good. Vlad, Teoscar Hernandez had like twelve. What about Ryu, who like also was Ryu ridiculous? Was, again. People, Ryu, people were, was a people great were always too. disrespect Hunter Ryu. He literally like led the National League in ERA last year. The Blue Jays signed him. Was fantastic for them. They also play their games in like Buffalo this year, so like yeah, literally was, a little league stadium. Blue Jays deserve some credit. For, like, no, it was not a little league stadium. It's a minor league stadium. It's a minor league stadium. It's not a little league. Literally a little league stadium. Little league I disagree. Stadium. No, um, because when we say little league, I mean we're used to hearing Brendan call Yankee Stadium little league, but I think Buffalo had pretty solid dimensions. I don't care. Well, I'll do. Well, I'll do. Um, so yeah, was a disappointment. Um, yeah, that sounds like pretty good for teams in terms of like a recap. Uh, we can quickly, you know, end this week's podcast by talking about a few lost members of the baseball community. 
want to kick us off, Matt, with like talking about a bit about LK line. Yeah. Remember the 3000 Hit Club? First of all, I just want to apologize to anyone who's not Tom Seaver and his family. We didn't expect all these Hall of Famers to pass away, so we apologize for not devoting entire episodes to uh, your amazing baseball players. That doesn't mean that we don't love these guys as much as Tom Seaver. just so happens that Tom Seaver passed away first during the season, and Brendan's a huge Mets fan, so that's just kind of what happened. I agree. Um, but we could have done a Lou Brock episode. We could have. All right, guys. <laughs> the The bottom line is, um, we had we had a couple of of very um important losses to baseball. Uh, before the season, Al Kaline passed away. Uh, Mister Tiger was his nickname. Youngest player to ever win a batting title. I'm pretty sure he was like 20 or 21 when he did it. Um, he has over 3,000-plus hits, batting average close to 300, if not over it. Um, I, I am a huge fan of contact hitters in general, um, because as I always say, as I always say, batting average wins MVPs, trademark. Um, and K-Line epitomized that for the Tigers. Uh, he was like a 15-time All-Star, like a 10-time Gold Glover in left field. Uh, he was, he's called Mr. Tiger for a reason. Like the like these guys who are are named after their teams like their Mr. franchise. Mr. Padre. Mr. Padre. Tony Gwynn. Mr. Met. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Best Met. Man of all, Mr. Best Met of all time. I agree. Um, like these guys who are named after who are who are given nicknames after their franchises that they played for. And by the way, Al Kalen played. I'm pretty sure his entire yeah he played his entire career in Detroit. Yeah. Um. Like he's a franchise cornerstone at a time. When well, the Tigers won a World Series in 1968 with the help of K Line, um, but he was their franchise for a while throughout the 50s and 60s. He was productive until about like a year or two before he retired. Yeah, so, yeah he totally. was. He he was the Tigers, and that's why his nickname is Mister Tiger. Yeah, I think it's nice to see the like. You know, back in the day, like, t- players would stay with their franchises for the duration of their career. Well, that's just because they had no rights as players. Well, they had- <laughs> yeah. And Kurt Flood, well, it's whatever. Well, let's, well, if LK Lyon played in today's game, he definitely would have, like, signed with the Angels, like, at, at, at age 31, <laughs> it would have been, like, trash, and the Angels still wouldn't have, won, you know, won a playoff game. But, I don't uh, even think Trout wants to win, so it's fine. <laughs> LK Lyon, terrific, uh, 399 home runs, uh, a cornerstone of the Tigers, and another player that played for one team his entire career was Bob Gibson, jumping to the other side of the ball. Um, basically, his 1968 season with a 1.12 ERA. It's the best season. It's it's the best season post World War it's II. It's on the uh, the lowering of the mound, I believe. Right? Yeah, it literally changed the league. The league. His performance and his dominance in 1968, including a 17 strikeout performance in Game One of the World Series that year, changed the league forever. I mean, this sort of rule change is hardly seen, not just in baseball, but in sports. There's like the Mel Blunt rule, named after the Hall of Fame cornerback for the Steelers, where a cornerback like can't touch a wide receiver within like five yards of the line of scrimmage, or like they have to or something. Something, some rule about Mel Blunt. I don't know. He was awesome. Go steal curtain. But like, like the, the fact that Bob Gibson was so dominant that they were like, okay, we have to make him less dominant, and he was still a Hall of Famer. Is is pretty insane. Well, he won a Cy Young like two years at like a year or two after they lowered the mound. So it wasn't the mound that was you know making him that good. He just was that good. He, yeah, won two Cy Youngs during his career. Uh, he threw three hundred innings during that nineteen sixty eight season. He did it actually a few times. So 
The Cardinals during those eighties and no, oh, not eighties, sixties, sixties and seventies. No, they were they were really good. no, but like they relied on Bob Gibson so heavily. Like I was reading an article by the Athletic, and they said they but they um Bob Gibson felt this pressure to not come out of games. Like he had those seventeen, the seventeen strike. He had like thirteen or so shutouts, I believe, in sixty eight, where he just felt this immense pressure to you know, to, stay to do game. that. Yeah, no, you're right because he didn't trust you know. Well, that's not he didn't trust, but he knew like he was the guy, he was the workhorse, and he had to like get those wins for the you know if he was pitching that day, he knew the Cardinal needed a win, so he would stay in the game as long as possible. Uh, another Cardinal is Lou Brock, who sadly passed away before Bob. Uh, we talked about Lou Brock uh, very coincidentally the episode before he died uh, during the trade deadline episode, um, where we discussed his monumental trade from the Cubs to the Cardinals. Uh, in probably one of the most, if not underrated, then, again, monumental trades in baseball history. Uh, Lou Brock ended up uh, being the second most frequent base stealer in baseball history with 937 career steals. Um, he has over 3,000 hits, plenty of all-star games, a couple of gold gloves, a legend in St. Louis. And him and Gibson were the reasons that the Cardinals ended up winning two World Series in 1964 and 1967. Yeah, Gibson and Brock were were the Cardinals for that period of time, and it's pretty unfortunate they passed basically around the same time, within about the same month or so. If anything, it was fitting that they passed as the, the anchors for those 60s Cardinals teams that I'm sure St. Louis fans love and miss dearly. But yeah. someone, uh, a team that, or a player that maybe Logan and I love a little bit more than uh, Bob Gibson or Lou Brock is Whitey Ford, the chairman of the board. Yeah, Whitey Ford had a, I mean, you know, this guy's a Hall of Famer. He had an awesome career. He had 236 wins, just over 100 losses. Uh, he had a 2.75 ERA. What I actually find really cool about him is he came through the league at 21 years old in 1950 immediately was enlisted into the army for the next two years to so, fight in korea yeah. yeah so his his career at, like started on such weird terms then he immediately came into the league and was a top five mvp oh finisher within um a, just a couple of years and within a top three cy young winner um in two years after that i want to say and he won then, the cy uh, he, did he win a cy young award yeah 61 Top yeah. five MVP that is, as well. Yeah, well, I mean, if not for Marison... games. If not for Marison Mantle, then uh, Ford might have won MVP. But... Well, yeah, uh, I mean, he, had, he led the he league also, in innings. He was great, like, almost... He almost, like, turned a corner, like, after he turned 30. Like, most players nowadays, they peak before they turn 30. It's like their 27, 28 seasons where they kind of play to their fullest potential. But, yeah, Woody Ford... Um, he finished third in the MVP voting in 1963. So like he, and that was his age 34 season. So Whitey Ford, very timeless pitch for the Yankees entire career, career Yankees number retired of course, like every other Yankee that played for them. Hey, I mean, <laughs> look, and at a time, Hall of Famers, Aaron Boone yeah. is number retired probably. <laughs> at a time, at a time when the Yankees were the pinnacle of baseball, and they had probably the best lineup in baseball. There was one pitcher who dominated for them throughout the 50s and 60s, and that was Whitey Ford. I think we could talk about the last guy um, that sadly passed away 
these past uh, couple of months. spawned all these, like, this discussion about 2020 being such a bad year for baseball losses. Also, didn't, like, uh, what's his name? The guy for the Players Association. Marvin Miller? Did he pass away this year as well? No, he got elected to the Hall of Fame this year. Oh, <laughs> same, same thing. <laughs> um, the last guy who we want to talk about, besides, of course... Three times signing a Well, uh, besides Tom Seaver, because we already have a full episode on him, so we highly well, I, I'll talk about Tom Seaver. All right, fine. Oh, Go ahead. Three times signing award winner, the franchise, the man at the power, the man, the man of the hour, the man at the power, man too sweet to be sour, Tom Seaver. All right. <laughs> Uh, Tom Seaver was a wonderful pitcher, 300-plus games, a legend with the Mets. Had the highest percentage for the Hall of Fame for, the, for a while. For for Hall of Fame voting percentage, yeah, for a good while he had it. Um, but, again, if you want to listen to our Tom Seaver episode, please feel free to do that. Uh, the last guy we want to mention is um, someone who I think all of our dads grew up watching pretty um, avidly. Yeah. Is well, we watched him too. As as uh, if you watch Sunday Night Baseball for a bit. Yeah, is Joe Morgan, who is the king of wins above replacement before wins above replacement. Uh, he was, he kind of did everything on the Big Red Machine, the Reds of the nineteen seventies. Uh, he had uh, not as many home runs as like Johnny Bench did. But the hits, the RBIs, uh, the the on-base percentage, the slugging, uh, the batting average, throughout the the time that the Reds were amazing throughout the 70s, he was the reason for it. Case in point, yeah, they had Pete Rose and, and they Johnny had Bench. and Johnny Bench, Hall of Famer and Hall of Famer Tony Perez. Right, Joe Morgan was ridiculous. Was yeah, so it was good. insane. Yeah, there's a reason why like they won back. Insane. <laughs> there is a reason why why they won back to back World Series in 1975 and 1976, and it was because of back to back MVP Joe Morgan. Now, here's something interesting about Joe Morgan: is he actually didn't start his career with the Reds. He actually started it with the Astros, but he sucked with the Astros, and then he went to the Reds, That's and true. then he. It's you got to two All Star games. Ah, right. Stalin Castro's four. We don't talk about him very fondly. <laughs> don't look at All-Star Games. But... Oh, you're the king of All-Star Games. What are you talking no, about? No, All-Star all Games are, are All-Star Games are very legitimate. But when when you look at Joe Morgan's stats, he is not a Hall of Famer unless he plays for the Reds. No, I, and yeah, he was I, absolutely yeah, insane for the Reds. And his his stats just reflect the fact that he has a high war for his career in terms of like what you think he's a hall of famer for he's the king of war before mike trout it's very simple like like before before you um you judge any other player from that time just like we judge mike trout today based on war you got to look at war back then and then joe morgan with the high OBP, a lot of hits, a lot of RBIs, he was so productive. What was especially, his war? probably very high. I don't have the number. In front he had of like me about like an average. I think for his peak, he had like around eight or nine WAR per average per per year. I'm looking it up. Continue. He had back to back MVP awards. Uh, he played around Pete Rose and actually um, the Athletic for you know the baseball Athletic they had this past oh, year about they ranked the top. War. They top Yeah, so there you go. No, well I'm saying well the athletic ranked Joe Morgan, they ranked the top hundred baseball players of all time, including, you know, Negro Leagues in Japan, and they ranked Joe Morgan as number twenty. Which is weird because a lot of people probably don't know who Joe Morgan is 
because he doesn't He's overshadowed by Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and Tony Perez and all that, whatever. He also finished his career in Oakland, fun fact. Thanks. Also he was also... In Houston for eight years. Well, yeah, he did. Yeah. That's a long But time. he was also on the 1983 Phillies, a.k.a. the Wheeze Kids. Because, okay, guys, just a little bit of baseball history right now. So, 1950, the Phillies won the NL pennant. They were called the Wiz Kids because they were so young and everyone loved them. And then in 1983, they won the pennant again, except this time they were all super old, and they were called the Wheeze Kids. On that team includes Joe Morgan and Tony Perez. Okay, that's my fun fact. We're done. Thank you. Um, no, I, 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 I want to do one quick tidbit about an, an actually interesting fact about Joe Morgan. All right. That weird receiver. So. <laughs> no, so I was in an article I mentioned about Joe Morgan, you know, the 20th best baseball player of all time. You know, wh- whether you like that ranking or not, you know, obviously he's, he's got to be up there. But they were highlighting Joe Morgan's trade from the Astros to the Reds and how – you know, the Cincinnati Reds GM at the time was looking for a diverse, a more of a, um, a speedster, a guy that can play multiple positions, guy can have a good glove. So they traded slugging, um, they traded slugger Lee May to the Astros, and the media were like, in, were furious, like, how can you trade the slugger? Like, you're the big red machine, you guys have like Johnny Bench, Johnny Perez, you, all you guys do with the win is hit home runs. And the Red, you know, the Red GM was under a lot of scrutiny. For getting this little, you know, Joe Morgan, the second baseman that can hit for average, had a decent glove. Um, they also traded their gold glove, their gold glover, second baseman to the Astros, you know. So it was definitely like a uh, a questionable trade at the time, but Joe Morgan obviously proved, you know, those guys wrong and blossomed into a star. Won MVP in back-to-back years. Um, also, he had a really good relationship with Pete Rose. Uh, Pete Rose really got. Joe Morgan to bring up his intensity and treat every game like, you know... Like he was better. Game right? 7 of the World Series. <laughs> I, that, was, that was actually a good joke. I agree. <laughs> um, also, you know, don't want to forget to mention Joe Morgan's second career as a broadcaster. He and... Who was his broadcast partner for ESPN? It's Joe Buck. <laughs> not it's, enough. It's not Joe Buck. Um, I'm actually not that sure. I'll look it up. Please, but... No, but some, that, that Sunday Night Baseball crew was, uh, you know, very... It was a um, they were a fixture for you know about a decade on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, he had found a second career for himself, very analytical and ironically, he actually hates war. <laughs> He's Bobby very Bob, it was not Bobby. Uh, well, it was. I'm sure, I'm sure Bobby Valentine was with him, but who was who was the play by play guy? I'm looking for it. Hold it's on. the Giants guy for like John Miller. John, oh yes, that there it is. It's John Miller and <laughs> okay, I have no idea. John, no, yeah, it was John Miller. John Miller is the Adios Pelota guy. John Miller and Joe Morgan were the crew for ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, and Joe Morgan like famously like hates analytics and like you know all that stuff. And Joe Morgan has prided himself on being like the most efficient ball player ever. You know he didn't. Yeah, which is hilarious. He never hit he never hit thirty home runs. He, but he did everything well. He did play great defense, hit for average. He stole plenty of bases, obviously. Um, So yeah, he is the king of war, whether he likes to acknowledge war as a stat or not. But um, definitely one of the the best players of this generation. Oh, of the, of his generation. I agree. Um, once again, we want to um, give our condolences towards the families of these wonderful Hall of Famers that we lost this year. Um, and we want to uh, officially say so long to the 2020 season as a whole. Um, the next couple of episodes will be pretty... Uh, off-season focused 
So please make sure to uh, stay updated on our social media. Uh, on Twitter, it's at baseball for bread one. On Instagram, it's just baseball for breakfast. We we will be posting this on Thursday morning. We will have another episode, a regularly scheduled episode, come out on mon- the coming Monday morning. Uh, we hope you guys tune in to that. And we also hope that you guys like this episode very much. Uh, please feel free to tell your friends about this podcast and maybe share it on social media. That'd well, be great. Also, you know, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, rate leave, the podcast. Leave a review, five stars, give the shout out, write, you know, show some love for us. really helps us out. And, you know, keep digging us on that. That's all I gotta say. I agree. Rate us, give us five stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please give us five stars. Uh, we love you guys very much, and we hope you have a good day.